I'm just getting beaten into that, you know, secondary role that I have on this podcast here, you know? Oh, <laughs> secondary role. <laughs> which one of us is the host and which one of us is the co-host? <laughs> yeah, and see that things change, you know, obviously. <clears throat> You're on wrestling right. about who's going to be Batman, who's going to be Robin, basically. That's what's yeah. happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see, Roland is both Batman and Robin, and I'm Alfred. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wold, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Roland. I got to tell you, we keep talking about the weather when we're recording these, but right now we're in the heat of summer, and Toronto is heating up. It's been a really hot stretch of days. And I got to tell you, I'm very thankful for air conditioning in my, in my apartment. How are things where you are, my friend? Well, the good news is these are the six weeks of the, the year where I sit in my ice cold basement and it's bearable. You know, I don't have to wear fleece sweaters <laughs> and, and boots and all that type of stuff. So I'm, I'm doing well. But this is a, a transformation, you know, the weather transforms. And uh, JM, I think we, we do have a topic about transformation today on the agenda, don't we? Wow, that is a that is what we call squirreling in the realm of debate. Uh, it's a nice little segue you've made there. We do. And I got to tell you, transformation is something that is uh, thrown around a lot. Digital transformation. Uh, those words are, are ubiquitous in every conversation I'm part of. But how you get there, the mechanisms by which you can sustainably transform, the way you can transform to the right way of being, and so you can include a wide variety of stakeholders in that conversation. So those topics are maybe second or third on the on the byline. That's not great. I feel like today's conversation in our wonderful guest can help transform our perspectives and our audience's perspectives into something that's a little bit more design driven as we've labeled this episode. So let's welcome our friend, Mr. James. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, James. Hey, great having you on the show. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation that the three of us will have, because I know you bring the background in design-driven transformation. And maybe you can also explain what the term digital transformation means, because that sounds like a big marketing spiel to me. Having said that, let's start as we do with all guests, you know, can you talk a little bit about yourself? You know, who are you and, and why are you on the show? And, and who had that idea to, oh, no, that was me, to invite you? Um, so, James, can you give us a little rundown for our listeners um, who you are, please? Absolutely. So kind of trained in industrial design. That, that's where I started uh, uh, back in the college days. This is when design went, you actually made stuff with your hands versus uh, uh, just coding stuff with your fingers. Uh, so true 3D industrial designer. Uh, got into really design thinking. And uh, I mean, we can call it, it's funny, you talk about what is digital transformation, what is this design thinking, I still think is at the heart of all of it. There's new ways to do it. There's new technologies, there's new processes, but kind of 
design thing is what I really fell in love with. And that's what I focused my master's on. I uh, did a lot of work where I tried to take uh, uh, physical products into the environment. So a lot of work in supermarkets in the UK before I came over and packaged goods. And uh, then I just basically got into uh, the communications of design and design agencies and, and moved on. That's really cool. And and you, I, I, I think you mentioned, and I think we'll put the links in here, you started your own firm and you're doing... You're doing your own stuff now, which I think is exciting. So you're, you're taking the industry experience and package it into a service offering that you use to help organizations achieve some of what you've worked with previous organizations for. Well, well, well I appreciate it. I didn't want to get a plug in this quickly, but yes, I, I do appreciate that. It's a, so, and again, so I, I kind of bounced around a couple of different industries. I was in healthcare for a while, really trying to something I kind of called commercial innovation. And I worked for a big tech company, helping them transform uh, and uh, make a, uh, they were sold for a, a, a pretty good acquisition. So uh, I used that as an opportunity to then launch Tomorrow Lab, and that's basically where I'm going and trying to help with a small team of uh, experts that are uh, come in and out and go and help companies actually, what is this transformation? Where do we start? Where do, it's, it's, where's the start? Where's the middle? Where's the end? How do we figure out what everyone's doing and bring it together into a more centralized strategy versus kind of a lot of, a lot of one-offs? That sounds fun. And it also, it's a tight team of people who, who you work with to deliver this consulting, but I'm assuming that there's a lot of a thought leadership that's already gone into this building up like a, a set of best practices, or is it you hired, you hired a very talented team of people who can adapt to anything? Like how, how did you approach making that firm? I think there's, there's some pretty simple fundamentals. And again, most of it's from design thinking, but this idea of kind of start with the end in mind. So that's a big thing. So uh, uh, the organization we call Tomorrow, Tomorrow Lab, and we do this process called Tomorrow Mapping. And I think so much of the time, and particularly when there's a lot going on, everyone's in a mad rush to get their yearly annual uh, plan going and you know just race into these projects. What I'm doing is try and say, hey, let's slow down. Let's look at what, what are the five-year goals? And then let's back into that hmm. because if we're doing one year at a time, we wish sometimes we could rewind a year because we're doing something on year two that if we'd have thought about that in year one, maybe we could, we, we would have done something slightly different. What that also does is allow us to bring the real cross functional team together. And I think that is one of the most important things is getting humans together to co-solve this. And then we understand the left hand knows what the right hand's doing and can be a bit more patient can understand if, if quite honestly, oh, n now I know why you're doing your, your process before I'm doing mine. And hey, I might even understand you might need some of my budget because I understand where we're going. But before we go into the meat of the conversation, um, <clears throat> what I typically like to ask the guests, and I will ask you as well, is who's the person behind the role? Right. So can you talk a little bit about you as a person? You know, what's your, your hobbies, interests, your, your bucket list items that you have? Absolutely. So, so I'm, uh, as hopefully I think you can still tell, I'm, I was British, British born and bred, although in mainland Europe now I'm getting a lot of, oh, you sound Australian or South African because I'm hmm. somewhere between America oh. and England now. Uh, I, I came to New York for a year back in 2001 to do a year or two before I headed to Australia. Uh, fell in love with New York, America, uh, and, and then a lady. 
in that order. So, uh, so live in New York, uh, married to an amazing woman. Uh, we have an 11 year old daughter. Uh, don't believe everything everyone's telling you about New York. It's back, baby. We love it. We're proper downtown New York. We're in the West Village, uh, and the museums, the theaters back. And that's it's uh, left New York for uh, nine months over COVID. Came back and realized what I what I love about it. So uh, I'm very happy living in New York with with uh, my wife and family, and it's it's really coming back strong. So that's super cool. Yeah, it's interesting. The New York City was. It feels like it was. Uh, it was a lot of people were like focused on New York City as like a example of where COVID hit really hard, but it sounds like there's, you know, there's been an incredible recovery from, from the, the city itself. And obviously there's a resilience of New Yorkers. I mean, I, I don't know, you consider yourself a New Yorker now? Like, is this your, is this your, did you yell at people who you're walking here? Like, I don't, I don't know what the, the, the first sign of being a New Yorker is. <laughs> well, well every, everyone who lives in New York, after 10 years, you get that badge of honor. So after 10 years, so I'm now on 21 years. So I, I, wow. I'm officially a New Yorker. <laughs> All uh, right. I've got an 11-year-old daughter who you, you cross her, she'll kick your ass. So she, she's definitely a New Yorker. I love it. Uh, I love it. I think it but, goes faster. You know, my, my older son, and maybe it's a different species, but my older son studied in, in Long Island and he curses like a sailor. You know, I've never seen that before. And, and he grew up in Virginia, you know, uh, where people are supposed to be more polite. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. It's uh, and anyone, any English person who's lived in America will, will tell you this, and we only tell each other. But I'll, I'll put it live on your podcast. It's English people tend to uh, start swearing more when you move to America because Americans find it hilarious. Because if you swear in a British accent, they just smile. Mm-hmm. So English people generally, over the years, my friends, every time I go back, I'm like, your language has got worse and worse. But no one ever corrects you; they just think it's funny. So. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've seen that. There's a table out there. Google it on the internet, you know, um, what the British say, what the British means and what you understand, you know, and it's hilarious, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Also, I I think Sting sung about part of that in in, in one of his (laughs) famous songs. I think you, you, you exemplify that pretty well, which is wonderful. But let's, I mean, it's great to get to know you. Let's start talking a little bit more about um, the, the conversation today. So our episode today is called Design Driven Transformation. Uh, and let's talk about how you approach this problem. And in, in all of our interviews, we tend to go, you know, the, the why and the how. Um, so we, we talk about the why first. What is the problem you are looking to try and solve? Why is that problem a problem? What kinds of costs does it bring along with it? And why should it be a priority for organizations to start taking a look at? Well, that's a hell of a big question you got there, Jam. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that this is one of the problems that it's, I think everyone's got their own unique why. And I think this this so, uh, I mean, we obviously got, you know, the big four consultants candidly trying to tell everyone, no, we've all, you know, you've got one of these five problems. You know, this is what it is. But I think, in particular with COVID, it, it's changed every. It, there's so many different problems that everyone's trying to solve, and I think that's 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 the issue. The, and we talked about a little bit earlier this idea of design thinking. One of the great things about design thinking is get excited about the problem, not the solution. That's the first thing. Is right. Really understand because I think so many times, as uh, I do a lot of design thinking workshops, I think everyone is so obsessed with the solution 
we forget the problem because we can't. Now, well, you know, the problem is we need to be 20% more uh, effective, 20% more on the top line or 20% more on the bottom line. Well, that, that's not the problem. That's an, that's an outcome or a, uh, that we're trying to change. Truly, what is the problem? And then I think we, we can kind of have a look at it. And a lot of the times, so then I think the minute we, we get the problem, we then want to jump and solve it. Well, well, what's the technology? And often we miss the people part. Design thinking, again, and I, I work in the technology space, but too many times we, we miss the people side of this. And I think particularly post-COVID, that's, that's a big part of it. I think it's interesting because it feels like it's kind of, I don't know, negative, de demotivating to think about the problem first. When I talk to people, what they're excited about, what they feel motivated by is a promise of a better future. So the first thing they want to look at is the appealing picture that, that's in front of them. They don't want to look at the, at the, the dirty floors. They want to look at the, the pictures of the clean apartment that they're going to have. So you, I think there is a human nature to not wanting to become obsessed with the problem get excited about the problem. People are really kind of predisposed to want to say, no, let's forget about the problem. Let's just talk about what, what it looks like when we solve it. And, and I think that's, that's one of the exhaustive uh, agile or, you know, these innovation pods, whatever it is, because everyone, it's like, go and do so many innovations. That's great. So that's, and that's kind of cool. You know, you go and do these little pilots. The problem is we don't celebrate failure with this innovation. So you've, now you've got 20 people doing 20 little experiments, but everyone's then trying to make theirs win because it's terrible if we say, well, we spent two months on this and it went wrong. Uh, I'm a massive fan of experimentation. I think we've got to, this idea of not having a direction. And then also this idea of no one fail fast. Again, it's things that we talk about, but people don't want to fail fast. If they've gone and got budget, they've got the boss approval. It's not good after eight weeks, but we just still, people don't, no matter what we say, we don't want to go back eight weeks and say, good news, guys, we solved, we, you know, we, we came up with the answer. This was a total wrong direction. Let's go somewhere else. It's just not in human nature. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and I, I've seen that without talking too much about uh, what I've experienced in the past, but organizations, you know, who develop and say, oh yeah, we're going to uh, deliver incremental value uh, with every release. Right, which is a basically a non-sentence, um, but then they don't talk about, right? They don't talk about what they have done and, and what would be a good thing and why people should use it and whatnot. So I think you're onto something, right? It's the, the bigger picture that's missing. And the question is obviously, how do get organizations to that bigger picture and, and determine the direction without ending up in a socialist five-year plan that, that has to be followed through. And, and we all know history taught us how that ends. So what are your thoughts on that? So look, I think there's, and I, and I like you, I'm trying to not mention industries or companies, but there's, I think for so long, we all knew it was several million dollars and uh, months, probably a year worth, you know, you get this big strategy and it's sorted and that's it. We've solved the world and then we can move on. Well, I think a couple of things happened. Isn't it? The average CEO tenure went down to about two years. <laughs> so then that, 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 that's, that, I think it's 2.2 or 2.4. On, on, like uh, on a good day. Yes, uh, on a good day. On a good day. And that's just the yeah. CEO, never mind the CFO and the CIO and the CTO and the CMO that's now all, all transferred. I think, and honestly, I, th I think we often spend 40 weeks and $400,000 
doing things that we could do in eight weeks and $80,000. I don't think you can get that kind of fidelity, but unless you're making this huge investment, I I, I personally, I get down to kind of, uh, yearly sprints, more six months uh, sprints, but you, you plan the year out. And I think you've got to have that vision. Again, I call it start with the end in mind. You've got to have, where do we want to be in three to five years? Where are we now? And then what's the gap to fit that there? You know, what are the key strategies? What are the key dependencies? What are the key risks? But the idea of spending a year to figure out where you're going to be in five years, I think if, if COVID has done nothing else, it should have told us that that's just, it's not a good use of time. So let me play devil's advocate here, right? And and it, it's half being devil's advocate and half me being dumb. But if I have no clue, you know, I got my my stakeholders that say, oh, I want you to create so and so many gazillions of dollars and whatever, right? How do I determine the place where I want to be, right, to get to this? Because I think you mentioned before, you know, you need to figure out your your North Star, your your problem that you put your teeth in and, and all that type of stuff. But how do I approach this? Right? And why should I? You know, I could I could muddle around, you know, I can survive my two years, you know, and then I get a nice parachute and and move on. Well, and, I, and this is where we go to this idea of kind of uh, try and break down the walls of silo thinking, in, in my opinion. I think we've a, a lot of different parts of the organization have got this single minded focus. So you might have a CFO and a COO, which they're just driving efficiency. Then someone down the hall, you might have a, a chief strategy officer or a chief communication or growth officer just driving top line. Well, I think this is what I think what te- technologies are like. These two are inextricably linked. And I don't think that often organizations work like that, where they come together. Obviously, you've got your very senior leadership team who sit around a table during planning and, and, and align on that. But the idea of really coming together and saying, look, how do we do this? And what it, what is the what is the bet? What's the decision making around top line versus bottom line? And how do we work together? And how does what the left drive the right? Yeah, but what I have not heard is, and, and I find it interesting that you didn't mention it. You mentioned the, the two groups, you know, efficiency and, and top line. What I have not heard is, where are the guys who come up with product strategy with the vision for the thing that you that you want to charge people money for be it a product or a service right so where do those guys fit in is it the the chief product officer who's who's in charge of that is that a executive leadership team issue is that the single guy in his basement who has that vision you know the 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 genius who comes up with that then will be monetized. What have you seen in the past? What, what is the right way of bringing that in? Because I think the first two groups that you mentioned are just in the worst thing, uh, worst version of the word. They're just managing, you know, they're not creating. Right. And I also think this is where kind of commercial, what I call commercial innovation, it, it changed the game because the model can be the thing, not the thing. Uh, talk about Zappos. Oh, yeah. Zappos was, you know, it was, it was supply chain and free returns. They didn't make a new, they didn't make a new shoe. They didn't have a new uh, loyalty program. Because uh, it was, they realized that that was the model of this idea of if you, if we give people more shoes, 
allow them to return them all, they'll try more shoes and return less. That, that's the problem. So, I mean, so who, who comes up with that? It, it's, if you look back traditionally, oh, so it says it's a supply chain feature. They've turned a, uh, they've turned a bug into a feature. This is the supply chain can do it. We know people won't uh, return them less. And I think that's to me what's so fascinating. The minute we had this business model and services around it, this is when it stops being, Kenley, uh, Roland, I can't answer your question because it needs to be a collective group. We typically have said, who owns the product? Now, mm-hmm. we are monetizing experiences so much. So then all of a sudden, who owns that? Is that now the UX guy? It's, it's, and this is what I think is fascinating. To me, we talked about what digital transformation is. Yes, it is bringing these people together and these not separating these huge chunks around, you know, operational efficiency. Operational efficiency is maybe the next business model. Operational efficiency may be saying, okay, we can actually, if we look down the value chain, we can miss one of the links of the value chain. We can get data from our, one of our suppliers and go straight to our customers. This was the overhead that nobody wanted to. It was a cost overhead uh, years ago. Now we find that that's what's driving everything. And that to me is what's so exciting about this digital thing. I love I'm putting it in quotes that no one can see me, but everyone, for, I'm, I'm putting it in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to, to, to loop back on this a little bit because what, what you said is that the people need to be aligned, right? That your senior executives, your leadership needs to be aligned on their objectives. Um, and one of the things I see a lot in these conversations is that that alignment on objectives actually ends up breaking down into competition where you have senior executives for whom the metrics that are being measured by and how they're being compensated can end up in direct competition with each other for the same pile, pile of money, for uh, different objectives that are mutually exclusive in some cases. So what is your approach and, and what, what you do with Tomorrow Lab um, to help uncover secret or sort of under the cover competition, whisper network competition, and build a pipeline for strategy to remove or reduce that so that you end up getting everyone rowing in the same direction? I wish I had a more intelligent answer. The, and this, and we can talk about the different layers of it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a hard problem though. I mean, like, and it, it's also quiet. People don't, people, everyone knows about it, but no one wants to say it. 100%. I think the, one, I, love it. I think the number one thing is getting people in the same room. Not on Zoom, not on Google Meets, not on emails. It's getting people in the same room. And I think there's, there's a, I think we're going to see a pretty big hangover of not realizing the impact of that now. We've all figured this out. We can work from home. We don't need to get together. We'll close the offices. Uh, I just, at the core of everything I do and believe, we fundamentally think we need to get people in the same room to wrestle this. And this is what I like. So as... As, as we run these workshops and again, the same room, we, we look at, we put into four quadrants. There's a million ways to split this. And, but the simplest way that we found can go into most organizations. You, you've got the, how do we deliver more value to the uh, customer? No one's going to argue with that. So that's, yeah. but then the same time, the yin to that yang is, well, uh, how do we drive efficiency and effectiveness in the operations? Right. So think you've, you've got the front end and you've got the back end, front end, top line growth, back end, efficiency, bottom line down. 
And again, now when you start to combine them, that's, this is when the new models come up. But I also then think we have to bring in the employees. How do we get employees engagement and enablement? Mm-hmm. And then the final quadrant of my, the ecosystem that we, we play with is then, uh, what, what are the vendors and suppliers? So that's, to me, where, where we start with Tomorrow Mapping, uh, Tomorrow Lab is, how do we go through all four of those quadrants? And how do we make sure everybody from each one of those quadrants so many times is, okay, great. So if we do two days, we could do half a day on this so we could have those guys, half a day on this so we'll bring the other people in. And I spend a lot of time saying, no, everybody's got to be here for it all. Because this two, when you isolate them, you miss the dependencies. If you ask a, a front-end sales growth guy, what do you want? I want more salespeople. I want a better CRM. If you ask the operations guy, he said, great, but I need a warehouse in before I can do that. If you don't have them in the same room, to your point, Jim, they're fighting for that. They're fighting for the resources. They're fighting for the money. And the sales guy might win. And that's great. He's got everything he wants. The problem is we've got no warehouse and solution. So <laughs> what are you selling? We can't get it here. So people understanding the dependencies and then the logic and the order, I think is essential. And then there's the, the other aspect that you see with those in-person meetings. And, and I had the pleasure to be a participant in one of your workshops a couple of months ago, unfortunately, by now. There's a certain dynamic that evolves in the room, you know, and it's not like like whatever those self-improvement rah-rah-rah types, you know, of people, but it's like, oh yeah, you, you start understanding what the other guys in the room are thinking and where they might have problems with that you never have thought about, right? And that's one aspect. And the the other aspect is you start thinking about not only a shared goal, but also the motivation of, hey, let's do this together. You know, we, we need to change. We need to put a transformation into place. And I think that dynamic You know, of those three things, understanding, shared goal, and the willingness of doing things together. I think that's an intangible benefit that you have that you just can't have over Zoom. That's a question that I I really struggle with because I take all, all of my meetings virtually these days. And I have to, for my own professional competency and personal integrity and sanity, believe I am personally able to establish trust through virtual interactions. And I think, Roland, what you're talking to, and James, what you've spoken to, a lot of that can boil down to trust. You need to see the other person as a human being, that they can trust you and you can trust them, and that you can be aligned on a shared goal, a shared hardship, so that you can come out together um, in success. That's part of it, but that's not what I'm talking about because what you see in virtual things in Teams and Zooms and whatnot is people do multitasking. People don't have the same attention to the topic at hand as if you are in the same room. I'm 100% with James on this. There, there is no substitute for in-person meetings. Well, I mean, people multitask in rooms as well. Like you can be doodling on your pad. You can be looking at your phone. It's not the same. It isn't the same because you are trapped. But the, the, the trap is just to guarantee that no one can be physically elsewhere. It doesn't actually necessarily guarantee their full attention. Because anyone who's ever tried to teach kids anything 
um, at school knows that guaranteeing full attention is never a, a guarantee. Um, but the same applies for any work circumstances, even if you're an adult and you're a professional, you've, that, the professional competency and integrity is what holds you there rather than being physically restrained. I, I, I found. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. Could you repeat that? I was just texting my brother. Say that again. <laughs> no, I, 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 get what you, I get what you mean. No, but can, can, I, can I also say that we've all got a couple of gray hairs. So there's a certain EQ that we've got. And I know we've got every buzzword. We're talking about digital transformation, EQ. We're using them all on this side. But I am genuinely nervous the next-gen leaders that are coming through don't have some of that as well. And we, we the COVID is going to, I feel like I've mentioned COVID 50 times. It, it is leaving this gap of connections. Yes. I met much. my wife at work. I met my best friends at work. Mm-hmm. It, it makes, I don't just think it makes it more effective. I think it just makes it better. And mm. I think it's, it's, it's a thing. And I think particularly my, my, what, what I do for a living, I, I am a, creative problem solver. That's it. I'm not splitting the atom. You know, I'm not. And we talked about who owns the, <laughs> the, the, the uh, product idea. And sometimes through creative problem solving, a product idea comes up. But creativity, and I, I'm, I do, I'm sorry, I, I believe that one plus one equals three. And when you are remote, one plus one maybe equals two, sometimes not even that, maybe 2.2. But I think the idea of getting people together, it's, we, we cannot change it. Zoom and everything is amazing as an and, but I do not think it is the the, the full alternative. I agree, and and uh, maybe just to uh, bring our first segment slowly to a close because we're already almost half an hour in, which is very interesting. Um, let's let's bring us back. So the way how you um, create your map going forward, just to repeat, you have those four quadrants that you mentioned, you know, the first quadrant is customers and and how you go to market with and and what you offer them. Second one is operations. The third one is employee engagement and and empowerment of those employees. And then the third one is what's the, the vendors and the network that you build up. But that is basically describing, um, a future state, a status, if you will, but that's not action. So what do you do once you've mapped this out? What what would be typical next steps that you see once everybody has that shared perspective in those four quadrants? So, so to start the process off, uh, we, we, we don't go into those quadrants. We've got them represented, but we talk about what is this tomorrow? And we get, we get very tactical with that. Mm-hmm. What are the growth numbers and where can that come from? So it's truly... Uh, what do we need to deliver to our shareholders and our customers? Very high level. Then the idea is going through, okay, what are the processes to get us there? What are the moves, strategic moves, investments? That's when we then use the quadrant. So if we've got a goal is, you know, again, the, the outcome we want to grow by 30%. That's not a goal. It's not it's an outcome. That's what we want. Uh, then we can go through that uh, again, a very high level. How do we do that? What is our brand about? I'm a very believing brand. I think one of the big things with technology is if we're not careful, we can actually equalize our service and our company without sprinkling your brand in there. I speak to so many Mm. people, uh, uh, customers who say, we want to be Amazon for X. And I spend a lot of time saying, no, you do not. Why? Because Amazon is Amazon for X. 
<laughs> you need to be, we call it this idea of uh, sometimes we want friction. We want that brand friction. And that's what I do. Brand friction means I stop, I remember, and I like you. One click away means that's super efficient. But when someone else can be less than one click away, that's where they're going to go. I think yeah. Amazon is a great example of why you need brand friction. What is your brand about? How do you start? I think once we've got that vision and then that's when we go into the workshops, the, uh, the, the day session, okay, as a operation, employee, network and customer, how are you going to deliver on that? What do you need to deliver? And that's when we then get practical. Once we've got all that, then we can start to all put it in the right order. And I think this might be the most interesting thing of the whole thing, because this is when you get Dave on the right realizing that Barbara on the left needs to do her thing first. But I don't want to give operations money because we need to grow the top line. We can't grow the top line unless I've done this with the supply chain or I've figured this on a process. Then all of a sudden Dave realizes why, well, yeah, you're right, Barbara, you've got to take the time and the budget and resources because I can't do what I need to do. If you don't fix the process, I'm out selling something I can't deliver. Yeah, it sounds like that's going to help bring dependencies, emerge those out, um, help explain them. Because just saying there are dependencies, people won't don't necessarily believe you. You need to live it. You need to feel that there's a dependency. Align that in a strategy and put a plan forward that addresses the order of operations that gets you to your strategic goal together. And I, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I hear you about being together and, and being able to understand that because you are people communicating that in a space. I wanted to, to, to put a, a brief break in here, as Roland was alluding to, because we love to put a little bit of music to break things up. But in the meantime, ask our audience a question about things. So specifically, let's talk about your experiences around collective problem solving and alignment. Uh, so our audience, think about your experiences, uh, the sessions you've been part of, particularly the virtual sessions during COVID or as in-person sessions return, um, or the sessions that happened before COVID, what worked? Uh, what stood in the way of understanding each other and aligning? How did you establish a space, a connection, the trust, and the design parameters to make tomorrow a possibility? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our second section, the how. I gotta get out of here. And welcome back. So a very interesting conversation that we have with James today. And James, I'm pretty sure you agree. Uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. you won't get paid. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh. on the other side is we learned from James that it's obviously important to have a vision, right? To see where you want to go. And we spoke about the four different quadrants that you should look at when defining that vision. But Obviously, the ultimate question, and this is why we have the second segment, the how is, well, James, how do you get into this? You know, what are the what are the areas of a transformation program on a high level and maybe then on, later on an activity level that you want to get started with to get it off the ground? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, th this is the this is the real stuff, isn't it? The, the early stuff's great and it's but that's not it, talk is cheap. Action is difficult. And we always talk about 
this is so, so now if we talk about we've got this vision and we've talked about what each part of the organization has to do to deliver that vision. Now we can start to put it into, okay, and I think the simplest way, and we talked about it a little bit is, what do we want to automate for efficiency and savings? We know that no matter what we do, let's say it is, let's say it is warehousing or supply chain, that we know we've decided that is not part of the value proposition. So there's many options to do that, but we want to automate it and save uh, money, be efficient and save on the bottom line. So now we know what the value proposition, we know what the vision is. So we know that just automate that, go buy it, go put a new process. Don't put, put as little investment in it as you can to just make it quicker, better, faster, smarter. Then we can put the money into what's the top line growth? Where do we think we can really change things? Whether this is transformational, whether this is transformation, innovation, but you want your reputation, your brand, because again, I always come back to this. If, you, if your brand can't be known for it, go buy it in, in the market. Don't uh, overinvest in it. If your brand can't be known for it and it's not driving your top line, how can we do that? So then that's what we talk about, differentiation or innovation. So once we've got that goal, what, are the, what do we need to do? Automation, save on the bottom line. Innovation, drive the top line. And it sounds like you're looking at trying to figure out what your value proposition is to the market, right? Like what are things that are unique to you? What matters and what can be kind of like bread and butter? A good, a good example of that is people like, oh yeah, we need to really focus and do strategy on procure to pay. Well, how many companies have a procure to pay as their unique selling proposition to their customers? Like, that's crazy. Just use a generic process, automate what you can, and let's focus on customer-facing activities that will actually make a difference, things you can innovate on, and that innovation will turn into a unique value to customer. Because it feels like that's a, an often missed conversation. Oh, man. 100%. And it might not only be to customers, it might be to partnerships, it might yeah. be to vendors. But this idea if you're not going to be unique in the market, if it's not going to make your business more sticky and people say, no, I'm not leaving to a competitor because of that, then why are we overinvesting in it? Mm -hmm. We're in a great time that there's so many off the shelf solutions today that where you can automate, don't overinvest, overinvest where you can differentiate, that it's stickier, that it helps your business. That is very interesting because I, I see a lot of, uh, companies and maybe it's because I, I speak to more engineers lately but they are looking for the better mousetrap you know they they you say okay hey we have this software for example that we offer you know we need this feature you know and and then they iterate on oh yeah how do we get this done and, and they end up in nerdland right but none of those guys ask the question about well does it make us different is that a, a compelling value proposition for our customers to switch to us or for other customers to switch to us? You know, and, and how do you get that type of thinking into an organization? Well, and, and I think this is the problem, isn't it? particularly mid-level managers and senior managers. You, we want to be showing that we are driving new innovation. We're driving the company forward. We're making things better and bigger. So nine times, it's just human nature. We want to build something new that is unique. 
And that's in today's cloud and multi-tenant and process intelligence, <laughs> everything. It's, yeah. yeah, it's this so hard to do that. But what's nice is if we've got a leadership that we've said, no, this is what's unique. Then you can get Brian, who's working in warehousing or supply chain, to then to be part of what's unique. Stop fighting for dollars because he wants to be. Uh, he doesn't need to buy something. And say, look, if you if you can help this, you can get your leadership team really all rallied about that one or two big things. Whereas typically, everyone is trying to just make their own silo as good as possible. And it needs to, let's be candid, you, you need to show that you've done innovation, you've done all this new stuff because everyone is individually trying to perform. The minute mm -hmm. we bring them around a centralized, Brian knows that all I need to do is save this money and then help Barbara do that. But Brian gets credit for Barbara. He's invested yeah. in Barbara. Because remember, Barbara couldn't do that unless Brian had done this. And Barbara will be patient with Brian because she knows is she, she can't do what she wants to do unless Brian's done. And he's given up some things. Yeah. And that's what this idea, this centralized strategy. We were so, for, I think we spent a decade or two talking about innovation's got to be bottom up. And I think we went too far. We need some, the lead top down, working together and share the responsibility and the credit because Barbara can't do what she wants unless Brian's maybe done the unsexy stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, I think that's part of change management, right? Like I think we've referred to that as the, the unbroken chain of influence. How do you affect these strategic transformation goals, uh, these, this innovation? How can you contribute to this? And how can you be incentivized and rewarded and feel recognized for a collective achievement that you may not have necessarily seen yourself as part of until somebody went, hey, actually, here's how you're involved and here's how you can contribute. So. As you're activating a transformation program, tell me where the people come in. When do they, when are they involved? How do you work with those teams and what do they bring to the table that you later on use to inform and shape the transformation as it proceeds? Well, I think at the beginning of the process, everyone's got to have a voice and everyone's got to have an equal voice. Yeah. And then we've just got to get everyone uh, focused on this same roadmap the same and this. And again, I think the idea of we've got that goal, but let's be honest, most of the time it's, what, what, what are we going to do the next six to 12 to 18 months? People are, people are not trying to do five years. We talked about the 10 years of senior people these days. So how do we then put it into a very, very tangible plan? And I think when we can get two leaders working together, I think one plus one is three and get everyone to sign in on, sign up on this. And once we've got this then plan, we let's meet on a regular basis every th uh, three or six months and find out how much we are influencing and helping each other. And again, give people that credit. Are you also establishing metrics and like measurement mechanisms at that point in time to be able to to see which direction the ship is turned? Yeah, I'm, and sorry, I think we we've got the strategy. We need the the metrics and KPIs, dependencies and milestones. Milestones are incredibly important. Milestones can also get pushed back and forth because that's the reality of it. But without putting those milestones in, we can have everyone looking at each other. But then this also says, look, this milestone needs to hit because remember, we need Brian to do this because then Barbara can do this. So we also do need Brian to be accountable. 
And we need everyone to help Brian because Barbara can't do hers without Brian and Bob is growing the top line. So that is the, the thing that you want to change. But well, when you talk about those individuals, how do you make sure that they are up for the game? Right. Because if I learned one thing over the last couple of decades that I do this job is that people are the hardest. Right. And you might have the, the very best idea in the world if if the user in front of the screen says, you know, I don't want to do this, then they won't. Right. So how do you change the people to get them on board with all your ideas? Because otherwise, all that stuff that we spoke about over the last 45 minutes is just ready for the for the rubbish bin. It's I, I, I could not agree more. It's uh, and it's. Again, it doesn't sound like the most, <laughs> the most uh, scientific or rah-rah new idea. Look, we, we've, lost, we've lost the art of communication, particularly the bigger mm. the organization gets. We get spammed with 57,000 things that no one is interested in or, has to, or cares about. But we lose, and I think, Jamie, you said, you t I know you guys talk about this in your podcast, we lose the why. Why are we doing this? What's in it? We go straight into... What do we got to solve? Get excited about the project. Get excited about the problem. Now we've got a solution. Now we roll it out. I personally think there is a huge gap in there, and that's around engagement. People hate change. And we all talk about, well, software today, it's no problem because it's like you pick up your iPhone or your Android, and that's updated overnight. That's not the same. It's not. We go to work, we've got, we're so busy, and even if that change ultimately makes something better, nobody wants it. Even the people who came up with that idea, we've got to engage them. We've got to get them excited about it. And again, this is not a new idea, but we can't go straight to the fingers and the feet. We've got to go to the hearts and the mind. Why are we doing this? What's in it for you personally? So are you saying, and, and I honestly ask, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but... Um, When you have the modern culture, you know, the little snippets, the attention economy, whatever, you know, the, the, like Ted Lasso said, you know, you need to have the mind of a goldfish. Um, if, are you saying that people lost certain skills, you know, they're not able to comprehend a concept, you know, a, a document, a, a design, a whatever, that's more than three bullets? And, and if so, because I think we've lost that, right? People are just reacting. They don't think. They're just reacting on things. Um, how do we get back to this? Because obviously we won't get back to the times of typewriters and, and the Royal Mail and, and whatever other services that, that send you stuff within days, not within seconds. You know, it, is, is that what you're saying? Is that a, a cultural, a human thing that has changed? Or is it just me being an old fart who can't adapt? Well, I think let's definitely make sure we, we don't lose you being an old fart who can't adapt. So I, I don't want to lose that. Thought. Oh, for sure. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I think it's more than that. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, I mean, we, we do with this attention problem. There's no doubt about that. But I think we can get around that more with video. And, but it, it's, it's, it's the meat of the content. We go straight into telling people, this is what you've got to do differently. And this is how you're going to do it. Versus, and again, to quote you guys back to you, this is why we're doing it. 
because we, this is better for outcomes for customers, for patients, for business, for an education. And this is your role in it. And then all of a sudden, you're contributing to this. Again, we talked about this before we go into it. What is that mission? What is that vision that we get excited about? What is your brand purpose and promise, whatever that is? If we tell people that this is why we're doing this, you believe that this organization, this is why it exists to do this. This is why you do it. And we want you to be part of this. We don't explain the change to people. We make them do it. Yeah, you want to build ownership within the individuals down the line, wherever they are in the organization to say, oh, I understand where the ship is going. This is the direction I buy into that story. And, and this is all I can do on my post, you know, to, to make this thing successful. We, we, we distribute accountability, but not the ownership. I think it's a nice way of putting it. When you take mm -hmm. ownership of why we're doing this, you'll do it. We'll all change. I have an 11-year-old daughter. I don't want to get up and take her to a, a different uh, bus stop. But if it's better for her, I will do that change. But I don't, people don't care. We've got to make people care. And we should all care. I think most of the people love their colleagues. I know all of the people love a bigger bonus. We just don't tell them. We bark at them. And again, I think this idea of more remote, less community, less brand culture is only accelerated that. Yeah, I agree. And you want to bring people along on this journey. And I feel like a lot of folks in this line uh, listening in are undergoing transformations right now where they may or may not feel like they're on the ship. And people say, we got to turn the ship. And they say, I, I don't feel like I'm part of that. So the best you're ever going to get from me is compliance. That's, a, that's my ceiling. What you should be trying to do is make sure that they're the ones, not just on the ship, but they're the ones pulling the oars. They're the ones that, who are trimming the sail. They're the ones who are actively involved in the transformation, even if they're not doing necessarily very much at it on a daily basis. They see their role on that, and they see how they're contributing to its success. And you're right, that, that gives them a feeling of true contrib contribution, true value, true meaning for why they show up every day to this job. And, and the, the same person, if you tell them you've got to do this change, they've been doing the job for 25 years, they're, they're not going to change. They, they, they don't want to, they'll begrudgingly change. That same person, if you bring him in and say, hey, we know, you know the people here, you know this business well, we really need your help. This is why we're doing it. That same person, not only they're an early doctor of change, they're an ambassador to, the, to their peers and they're helping everyone. We've, we, we lose people in this thing called digital transformation. So let's be very tactical on this, right? So I, I get where you're going. You know, you want to speak to the heart of people, right? But if you plan a transformation program, Right. What are the tangible actions that you as the transformation agent will have to put in place? You know, I'm pretty sure it's not the biweekly newsletter that ends up with the other 5000 emails that end up in your inbox unread. You know, but what, what would be your recommendation? Just some food for thought for people who have that problem. How do I reach my guys? You know, they bought into your story where the ship is going. They bought into you need to convince the people. 
the question is now, how do you do this? Yeah. So we talk about, sometimes this is tens of thousands of people, isn't it? We, we've got to realize, obviously we go through, you know, what order do we need to get? There's the, the, the must-haves. We have to get these mm-hmm. people. We need to over-invest in them. We need to over-invest in communicating with them, these people that we cannot go past go. There is no B without these guys. Again, let's get them excited because these are the people that have often got the biggest voice as well. And if phase one doesn't go well, phase two, three, four, five, everything else is going to slow down. Or might be dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or it, it never gets past phase one. I think we overinvest in them. And again, I, I think we talk to them. We communicate with them. We don't give them the execution roadmap. We get them in a room. Now, sometimes that's possible. Get them on Zooms. <laughs> sometimes we know we have to do this. But just really explain to them and ask them for their help. Communicate why we are doing this. Let them know where we are. We are very candidly, we can also be, and let's be honest, particularly technology people, (laughs) we can be very dismissive. Oh, they they don't understand even what we're doing. Just tell it. We, never. we, we never. demonize technology. We demonize yeah. technology and then we call them dinosaurs when they don't leverage it. It's, it's our fault, not theirs. They've been running this business for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. <laughs> they yeah. can come in and we say, look, we need your help on this. This is how we do it. So those people who we need to move the needle, we've got to overinvest in them. And again, not to sound like a broken record, I personally, you get them in a room. You get them talking to each other and we say, we cannot do this without you. Do we all buy into this? If this was 20 years ago, we'd have them all sign a pledge. And you know what? Maybe that's still the right thing. But truly say, we need your help. Will you help us? And then also go out and find the influencers. Find the rising stars. Find someone who we know has got a bigger voice than uh, because people like them. They love them. Ask for help. People want to help you. We celebrate them, we recognize them, and we say, look, this is great. We all know and love Darren. He's been here for 20 years. He's the key part of this next generation phase. We've taken the humanity out of it. And this is, there's a lot of frustration in particularly big organizations that, uh, that people felt like they, they were a real person. Now they feel like they're a number. And then we've got Gen Z coming in saying, unless you recognize I'm a, a, a snowflake, then I'm not, I'm going to go somewhere else. We need to humanize this industry and everyone's right. We shouldn't just be thinking that Gen Z is coming in to clock in and Darren has committed 30 years of his life. Let's bring it back to, again, it's all part of the design thinking. You, we need to let people know what are the outcomes? Why are they doing this? Why, why are we doing this from a business point of view? from a customer point of view, but most importantly, from you, an employee point of view. This will help you help us. We'll all do better and we'll all share in the outcome. I'm hearing a lot of the same sort of ideas, which is listening and being clear and responsive with all your collaborators. And and you you said this a couple of times uh, that the art of communications is... uh, is struggling. <laughs> I'll put it a little bit uh, so more softly here. And there's a lot that that leaves that leaves it to be desired, particularly around tra- around change and around transformation. And when you think about design thinking, communication as part of the process, involvement, collaboration, contribution from a larger group of people, feels like it's it's not just a, a nice to have. It's a necessity. There's also one thing, James, that I'm I'm really interested in, and I 
catch you a little bit off guard because we don't have it on our little cheat sheet here. Um, so you've done all those things. You know, you developed your strategy, you, you implemented automation, you innovate, uh, implemented innovation, you, you caught on with the people, you got them all on board, rah, 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 right? So you, you did all the stuff that you just said. Um, and now you're done. You know, oh, your, your numbers went up, your production went up, your, your customers are happy and, and whatnot. Do, what do you do? Do you just say, oh, mission accomplished, let's go back to, to the old ways? Or how do you celebrate success? How do you get on the next wave, you know, the double S curve, on the next wave that's there? So what is your recommendation on to, to, when you get to that point that you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish? I, I love your optimism that you think companies get to the point that they, they get to that point where they've achieved everything. But uh, <laughs> let, let's say we did. We, we at least the, the the baseline KPIs. Yes, the, the major the major <laughs> stuff, yeah. not every small thing, but the yes. major stuff where you say yes. Today we're we're at the point where we expected or wished to be X months or years ago. I mean, I think this is the role of leadership, isn't it? I mean, we've got to go move the cheese. If uh, we either didn't make our vision or our mission big enough, or we need to find new ways to get there. I mean, I, I think it, the idea of every one of us are in a different business than we thought. No one makes stuff anymore. You're in the service business as well. And unless we keep reinventing ourselves, Amazon or someone's going to come in and take away. If the minute we are running our business solely on efficiency. To me, the reason we are more efficient is to save on the bottom line, but it's to put those people and resources on the next top line. I think the minute you're not rethinking your own, I mean, it's the innovator's dilemma, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, everything that's happening at the moment, we all know that the, the technology companies that are, are not innovating quicker, uh, quick enough, and then someone's coming in, there's a I don't know when this is being aired exactly. There was a very big one with Facebook and Twitter <laughs> happened just this week. Oh, yeah. Because they, they thought that they, no worries, we've got this amazing product. We've got this unicorn jewel. All we have to do is be more efficient. This is great. Well, I think in the last four days, everything changed. Someone yeah. came in with a slightly better mousetrap, not even a slightly better, similar mousetrap, but they're, they're not sitting on the laurels. Whatever product we've got today, particularly technology-wise, it's uh, we, we've got to be we've got to be next. If you're not next, you're yesterday. Yeah, well, that that, that leads us to a really good question, and uh, I I think this is a, a good cap for for the episode in this section. Uh, for, this is this is fantastic. But we're gonna leave the audience with one more question to think about as we take a brief break and get to our summary. Uh, how are you and your organization approaching transformation? Um, how is that aligned with your strategy? How is that differ a differentiator for you? How how do you address the challenges of transformation? And how do you drive that innovation and engage people, bringing them along in the journey? Where is that working? Maybe where is it falling short? And how might you map a better tomorrow? We'll come back with our final section, the conclusions, and a farewell to the episode.
and welcome back. And James, uh, thank you very much for the time that you, you spent with us talking about uh, transformation and how to approach this and, and all those things, you know, with getting the vision right, where do you want to be tomorrow and, and how to get on that path of transforming your organization and your products and services to a point where you then are in the lucky position to think about, okay, what's next? You know, who moved my cheese? Um, but um, one thing I hope that a lot of people are interested in is, well, how do I learn more about James's approach and, and how do I learn more about James as a person? And, and how can I reach out to James if I have an, an interesting project or an interesting problem for him to solve? Well, well thank you very much. And again, th th thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. Uh, the Tomorrow Lab, the TMOWlab.com. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in hearing anything more about what we do, how we do it, that's kind of where to hit me. Hopefully, we're all, uh, we all live on LinkedIn. Uh, James Toomey with the Tomorrow Lab. Love to have the collaboration. Tomorrow Lab, we, go and we help organizations. Tomorrow mapping is a process. If you've got the right people and the right design thinking, we're more than happy to share you with it. And hopefully, it's something that you can run with yourself. Obviously, we'd love to help you with that. But uh, we, our philosophy is... In today's environment, we don't need to be doing one, two-year marathons. Let's do a one, two-month sprint. Let's get 70 to 80% of the fidelity of that strategy and run with it because it's going to change. Two-year programs to get 100% fidelity for $2 million. Not many organizations need that. What can we do in a couple of months? Get a minimal viable strategy because it's going to change. That's what tomorrow uh, mapping is about. That's a... Uh, really allows people to do it. Chances are you've got the talent in there. You just need someone to come and help you collaborate. JM, you mentioned collaboration. I think it's one of the most important things. You've got the IP, you've got the IQ in the organization. Let's unleash it. As a public service announcement, as always, you know, we were going to put all the links into the show notes. Um, and JM, I'm pretty sure you have some more parting thoughts for us. I do. And... You know, it's been a, a fantastic discussion. I, I really appreciate uh, the, the way in which you approach things, James. It was really, really exciting to, to chat with you and also to hear how how organizations have, have been able to keep their unique value proposition, innovate, and still transform in the, in the conventional <laughs> digital transformation way. And hopefully our audience has really enjoyed it. And that's a huge thank you to our audience for listening in and joining us in this conversation. Uh, if you want to know more about it, you can go to whatsyourbaseline.com to find out more about everything we do with the podcast or specifically for this episode, including all the notes at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 51. But until our next episode, friends, I have been J.M. Erlinson. I have been James Toomey. And my name is Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one.